This is a Federal News Network podcast. In her three years as the administrator of the General Services Administration, Emily Murphy faced many a tough decision. But the one she might be remembered the most for was that decision, and when she made it, to ascertain the 2020 presidential election. Murphy talks publicly for the first time and with executive editor Jason Miller about what went into that announcement and why she felt she was deliberate and careful in making the election ascertainment. Ascertain means to determine with certainty. So as a threshold matter, it's important to note that as the administrator, I wasn't picking or certifying the winner of the presidential election. Instead, it's the administrator's role under the Presidential Transition Act to determine with certainty what resources and services should be made available to the apparent successful candidate uh, to assist in the event of a presidential transition. The actual winner of the presidential election is clearly determined by the electoral process outlined uh, detailed in the Constitution. And looking back to over the history of the Presidential Transition Act, in 13 of the 15 elections since that law was passed, a concession was made promptly after the election, which made ascertainment of the apparent winner a very simple administrative exercise. The one exception to that was in 2000. And in 2000, ascertainment wasn't made until after a concession was made. And that concession didn't come until about six weeks after the election. And there was considerable controversy around the delay in 2000, although I don't think that the administrator then had a better option, which that then leaves the question, can an election outcome be apparent, can be determined with certainty, if the candidates themselves don't agree on the outcome? And if the answer to that is yes, then the question then becomes, what is the fact pattern, what evidence is necessary to make that ascertainment? So I was looking at what states were doing. States don't announce their official results until the votes are certified. And that generally doesn't happen for several weeks after the election. So I didn't believe that it was my place to decide what challenges and recounts had merit. So I waited for key developments involving certifications of the election results and certain legal challenges to receive initial rulings. That didn't happen until November 23rd. As soon as it happened, I wrote my ascertainment letter. And as I wrote in that letter, I strongly encouraged Congress to consider amendments to the Presidential Transition Act. I know that Jerry Connolly had a hearing last week and he agrees that some amendments are necessary. So I, I hope that they will do a better job of defining that process in the future. It seems to me, as you described your process, because the states, as you said, were not making decisions, because there's a lot of recounts going on, you, it seems to me you felt like you needed some certainty yourself to then can move forward with releasing some of the transition resources. And until then, you were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in many ways, because there was some uncertainty. And and then, as I've heard, you can't ascertain twice. That's correct. It is a one and done. And I wanted a sufficient or an appropriate facts to point to, so that, that it really was a determination with certainty as to who the apparent winner was. 
And as I said, that I didn't believe that that happened until November 23rd. There was a lot of discussion about ascertainment. I'm sure you heard it or couldn't help but hearing it. Walk me through a little bit of how you dealt with the noise that came from it. Because it's obvious there was pressure from one side of the aisle saying she should do it right away. And the other side of the aisle saying she should be smart about it and, and wait and see what happens. How do you kind of deal with that, that noise? So every morning I got up, I looked in the mirror and committed that I was going to do what was right. I was going to follow the law. And until it was appropriate to ascertain, I wasn't going to ascertain. I was going to just keep being the administrator of GSA and do my job. And so, you know, spent every day just committed to, to following the law. How difficult or how much pressure did you feel? Could you quantify in some way? Was, was it a situation that I mean, you, you knew it was coming in some ways? I mean, it was, it was unclear that this was going to be an easy decision, but did, did you prepare yourself for it in some way? I want, I want to be absolutely clear about this, and I put it in my ascertainment letter. No one from the White House, no one from GSA pressured me on the decision. It was my decision and my decision alone. And I, so I, I want to be really clear on that. Did I do my homework? Yes. I looked at, I talked to Administrator Barham, who had been the administrator in 2000. I read the, the history of the 1963 Presidential Transition Act. I read the floor debates for the Transition Act. So I made sure that I knew what the law was and what guidance existed on the law and, you know, and committed that I was going to follow the law. I know it's a big relief that it's done. Just give me a quick sense of what's happening today. How is GSA supporting the transition? The night that I ascertained, OMB apportioned $6.3 million for the services and salaries of the Biden-Harris transition team, and an additional million dollars for appointee operation orientation, I should say, and training. So our post-select services for the transition team are taking place at the same location as the pre-elect services over at the Department of Commerce headquarters. The ascertainment allows us to provide a little bit more space some additional IT services, and there's a SCIF available to the team in that location. I know the agency review teams are engaging with the agencies, and the inaugural preparations are underway. So everything seems to be going really well. Next for Emily Murphy, we know you don't, you're, you don't have a new job. I can almost guarantee that. I know there's probably some vacation, well-deserved vacation in there, but you expect to stay in the federal community? Until January 20th, I am focused on being the administrator. And so, yep, uh, that's been my focus. The next step is indeed a vacation. And then my parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary next year. So I'm looking forward to celebrating that with them. And then I'm going to take some time and really focus on how and where can I make the greatest contribution. I do love the federal space. I've spent the last 25 years in that space, almost 26 years in that space. And I want to find some place where I'm going to be able to make a contribution. And I'll figure that out next. One piece of advice you'd give to the next GSA administrator, whoever he or she may be? The advice I give to anyone coming into federal space to begin with is focus on three things you want to get done. Now, I said, I said that and I came up with four. Make sure you understand that in the private sector, you can do whatever you want to do as long as it's not illegal. In the federal space, you need to make sure you've got the authorization to let you do it and then remain focused on those goals and you know and make sure you've got data and transparency into them 
GSA has amazing employees and they will get the work done, but there's so many things going on that you can't be micromanaging each and every one of them. So, you know, figure out where you're going to spend your time and energy and enjoy it because it's a chance to make a difference unlike any other that I've experienced. And I wish them nothing but the best and the greatest success. And your phone line is always open. Just give you a couple of months to uh, decompress. I know that. My phone line is always open to that. And I have talked to almost all of my predecessors, you know, over the years because it's a small community, but it's also, you know, GSA isn't an agency where we pull 180s. Our issues tend not to be partisan issues. Everyone's in favor of good government. Everyone's in favor of, you know, of trying to increase competition. We may have different tactics that we want, but we all are trying to go to the same place. So whoever the next administrator is will have my full support as they try to, you know, increase competition, reduce duplication, improve transparency, provide ethical leadership. I can't imagine that they're going to, any of those things are things that people are going to reject. Let's kind of move on to a little bit and talk, talk more broadly about some more fun stuff. Acquisition, of course, this is one of my favorite topics. Let's just start with some basics. When you came on board at GSA, when you went through your confirmation process, you outlined four goals, increasing competition, improving transparency, reducing duplication, providing ethical leader, leadership. Why don't we run through a few of those highlights, one or two accomplishments you're most proud of in, in all those areas and some of those areas. Let's look back at your legacy because uh, without a doubt, many would agree you were probably the most qualified GSA administrator in decades. I think the thing I'm proudest of is that we've saved $21.3 billion over three years and increased sales under GSA contracts by $20 billion in the same time period. And so to put that in perspective, when I left GSA in early 2007, they were doing about $40 billion a year in contracts. And by the time I rejoined GSA in 2017, that had grown to about $55 billion, so was 55 by 2018. So $15 billion over about 10 years. From 2018 to 2020, it grew another $20 billion. So I'm incredibly proud of that. And I'm incredibly proud that we've kept the people of GSA safe during the COVID pandemic. But those four goals that I set out at the beginning, increasing competition. Our competition rate uh, last year was above 92%. It's less than 15% of our full and open competitions only get one bid. Our small business rate was almost 46%, which exceeded our 29% target. And we're taking steps to implement Section 876 to improve competition at the task order level. So I think we've made a lot of progress on, on increasing competition. In terms of transparency, the INFORM 2.0 pilot's going strong, and that's our uh, enhanced debriefings. So I think that's going to become permanent. We've expanded the federal real property profile and published that data so that everyone's got more insight into what's going on across the, the federal government's holding a property. And then one I think you'll really enjoy is we set up dashboards for each of our customer agencies. And this is originally a project that was set up for me to look at. So I could see all the ways that GSA was touching an agency at, in one place. I could see what the Federal Acquisition Service was doing, what Public Building Service was doing, what other shared services we were providing them, government policy. We then went out and we made that data available to the agencies. We had meetings with each of the agencies about it and gave them not just the top level dashboard, but all the data behind it. We let them drill down and see the numbers themselves. 
And we left a space blank on each of those dashboards. And we said, tell us what it is that we could be doing to help you. And we tried to be really transparent in our relationship with our customer agencies. Reducing duplication, I think the, the top one there has to be schedules consolidation. We went from 24 contracts to one. But we've also, with robotics process automation, saved 260,000 hours since 2018, which ends up being about $35 million worth of GSA employee time. And we've launched NewPay, which is going to you know, have a software as a service approach to payroll across the federal government. And then when it comes to ethical leadership, I'll go back to the very first thing I said, which was when we kept GSA employees safe during COVID, we were the first agency to go to mandatory telework. And as we've been planning our return to facilities uh, and we've been trying to communicate around it with our employees regularly, um, we're actually trying to use that as an opportunity to make it easier for GSA employees in the future. So to make it easier to recruit them, to retain them, make it easier for them to work for GSA. Um, and you know, the plan we're developing, I think, goes as far as to recommend about 75% of GSA employees telework. A lot to, to be proud of. Let me go back to uh, one, one piece of this. And I, I think it's key here. People will hear numbers and say, oh, so GSA sold more or was part of contracting that, that ended up more money came through. And that makes sense because government was spending more money. But this is really goes back to customer service. It really goes back to this idea that people are finding value in GSA's products and services versus they're just giving you money because you're there. Walk me through how you really, and, and I think the dashboards play into this, really focused on that piece of customer service to ensure GSA's value is, is recognized and increases. GSA's increase of $20 billion doesn't just reflect that the government spent more money. If you look at, for example, GSA's share of IT dollars spent, it went from 21% to about 29% in those three years. So we're getting a larger market share. And I think we're doing that because we've been focused on customer loyalty, uh, supplier satisfaction, and employee satisfaction. Our fiscal 20 customer loyalty score is the highest it's been since we started tracking. To put it in perspective again, when, when I started as administrator in fiscal 18, it was at 7.5 on a scale of out of 10. It's now at 7.9, which is really a fantastic achievement. And it's even more importantly, it's increased across all of our acquisition portfolios. And our customer satisfaction is driven by how easy it is to acquire products and services through our contracts. So the ease of acquiring scores are one that we look at really closely. And those also increased this year. And they also increased across our business lines and so our efforts to make it easier to do business really resonated with our customers. At the same time, we've made it easier for our suppliers as well. And our FY20 supplier satisfaction score is also the highest it's been since we started tracking the metric. And it also increased across all of our acquisition portfolios. Now, part of that is probably because we gave them an extra $20 billion in market to, to work in, but also because we've been making improvements in our systems that are directly you know, address the, the complaints that our suppliers had. And then if you look at our employees, our FEV scores for 2019 were the highest they've been in the agency's history. And we don't have our 2020 scores yet. I wish we did because I'm really curious. We did a pulse survey uh, earlier this fall. And in that we found that 93% of our employees 
said that they believe that managers at GSA have clearly articulated and communicated the goals and priorities of the agency. 94% of the employees agreed with the statement, my supervisor listens to what I have to say. And 95% of the employees thought we were clearly communicating and had the right protocols in place. So we're, we brought customers, suppliers, and employees all to a point where they say we're doing something right. Well, we're putting the pieces together in the right way so that we're delivering more value than we were before. Coming into this position, it's obvious your background of having worked at GSA, having worked at SBA, having really followed the acquisition piece on the Hill. Would you say that the public building service side was the learning curve that you really faced the, the biggest area on? And it seems to be, as you, as you talk about some of the success areas and transparency, as you highlighted, federal property profile too is, is really helpful, especially in this time of COVID. Where do people work? How many people work? How do we set up offices? All of that seems to really, uh, again, well, I'll go back to the word value, uh, add real value to GSA's interaction with agencies, and especially being, and I'll take your words, the government's landlord, which uh, is, a, is a fun term I'm sure you get to use. We've got about 370 million square feet of office space. We're not the only landlord, but we're the, we're the primary landlord. And PBS in the last three years has saved $3.55 billion in lease cost avoidance. So that's that they've negotiated their leases down by over $3.5 billion. If you want to talk about competition, we were replacing about 40% of expiring leases when I became administrator. It's now over 70%. And that 70% we're replacing, we're doing so at about 12 to 13% below market rate. We've reduced our federal footprint by about 4.7 million square feet. And you know, we've been driving transparency with agencies as to where their employees are, how much they're paying per employee in that space, and then what the options are for them going forward. You know, we've been working on something called Workplace 2030, which is the idea that going forward, the right combination of space and technology and policies, so it's got to be a GSA project, it's not just a public building service project, can drive a better outcome for federal employees. They can have a better way of working. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.